Hello. Ni hao. Bonjour. Hi. Buenos dias. Guten tag. G'day. Welcome to the Husida Podcast, a production of the Human Services Information Technology Association. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Jimmy Young, a board member with Husida since 2015. In this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Laura Nissen about her recent article in the Journal of Technology and the Human Services, titled Social Work and the Future in a Post-COVID-19 World, a Foresight Lens and a Call to Action for the Profession. I'm talking with Dr. Nissen via Zoom because, as many of you know, we're currently in the middle of a global pandemic known as COVID-19 or the novel coronavirus. Dr. Nissen's article provides a great backdrop to our conversation as we discuss the steps that the profession of social work can take to better prepare for the future. I was surprised to find that her futurist work is centered in a foresight planning framework that also reflects on the past as much as it plans for the future. We talk about the role of technology, ethics, and how foresight and futurist work is not really a solo practice, but more of a global process and wayfinding. It's a practice and not necessarily a destination. But my biggest takeaway is that the future of social work is learning how to work with technology in a way that expands our capability and not diminishes it. So I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I did in producing it. Now, on to the podcast. Thanks again for joining me. We have Dr. Laura Nissen, who is a professor in the School of Social Work at Portland State University. She serves as the dean from 2014 to 2019 and is also currently a presidential fellow there at Portland State University, where she's using a futurist perspective to explore how universities can sustain student success, relevance, and community engagement. Dr. Nissen has also worked with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation and the Reclaiming Futures Initiative, just received a grant to launch a National Social Work Education Health Futures Lab, and she's also a research fellow at the Institute for the Future in Palo Alto, California. Dr. Nissen has published in the areas of addiction science and methodology, equity, ethics and technology, innovation in social work practice, and futurism and foresight in human services and social work education. Her article, titled Social Work in the Future in a Post-COVID-19 World, a Foresight Lens and a Call to Action for the Profession, was recently published in, I think, July, actually, in the Journal of Technology and Human Services, and that's kind of what we're here to talk about today. So, Dr. Nissen, thank you again for joining me here on the Husita podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Now, am I right then in saying that you describe yourself as a futurist, and can you tell us a little bit more about what that means? So I think a futurist um, there is a, is a well-known term or a better known term. I prefer to call myself a foresight practitioner. Okay. Um, it is very much a practice. And I think futurist is sort of a generic way to discuss it, but um, there, there are a lot of futurists doing a lot of different things out there. And um, I'm, I'm pretty specific in that I'm, I'm practicing foresight. And, and I base my work on the social science that, that grew up around that. So um, people call me a futurist, it's okay, uh, but I prefer to call myself a foresight practitioner. Okay, a foresight practitioner. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means or what that entails? Uh, the, the easiest way that I've come to help people jump there fast is to really just think about the role of a historian. 
And what's funny is to think about, you know, there's a whole profession that we accept, that we know and that we accept about people who do nothing but just look at what happened in the past and think about it <laughs> and think about what it meant and how, how it helps us understand what's happening now. And I think a futurist uh, or a foresight practitioner kind of does that too, but in the opposite direction. So tries to connect history with what's happening now and then really um, study both trends and what's maybe after the trends to imagine and plot out what might happen next. And if you, and we all have, you know, if you've had those experiences where things happen in the world mm -hmm. and we think together, oh man, probably should have seen that coming. <laughs> it's, it's people who practice foresight who I think are capable of helping us see things coming more clearly. So a big, I think you, you know, we've talked about it before, like the, the future we want doesn't just arrive fully formed. We, we have to shape it. We have to be active participants in co-constructing the future that we want. And so um, that's really what foresight practice is about. It's about developing frameworks, uh, using historical frameworks that, that have been around for a while and tools to help people really participate in building that future they want. Okay. And that's really interesting to me to think about you still have to pay attention to the past in using this foresight futurist kind of framework because when i first started looking at this read through your article or even as i've heard the term futurist over the years i've always just figured you know let the past be whatever it is and just always future 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 yeah yeah the f the past is full of patterns so many of the people I've met in the futures world, futures practice world, they're amazing historians because, and I, I, I like in, in the COVID-19 era, era, some of my favorite writings have been, what have been the historical implications of pandemics in the past? And what do they have yeah. to teach us about what's happening now and what might happen next? So it's kind of like that. I mean, most, most people in this area are just amazing uh, historians. Wow, that's really interesting. So if, if we move even more into the article here, you talk a little bit about expanding the framework, the futurist foresight framework into social work in the profession to help expand the ideas of social work or the social work toolbox, if you will. Uh, can you describe a little bit more about how this framework might be able to help social work move forward? I guess it, I could start by telling you how I got there. So I, I mean, I, I would go, I go to a lot of futures and foresight events, uh, used to go in person. Remember that? <laughs> I used to go to these things in person, big gatherings, there'd be people from all over the world and yeah, we'd be yeah. talking about this or that. And I was often the only social worker in these spaces. There, there might be other people who were sociologically minded, certainly, but um, I, I felt uh, by myself a lot. And I, that was an interesting place to be. It's a great interdisciplinary space. And most of us in our contemporary practice have been that way. But um, I was, as I would learn about things like, you know, the deep end of the pool with climate change or big giant breakthroughs with biotechnology or things like the future of food, which might intersect both of those topics. I just began to, I mean, my mind was just racing with like all the social work implications of what was yeah. being discussed. And it was, you know, just thinking um, all over the place about this and that and, and, and realizing we have both something 
really important to contribute to these conversations. And we probably need to be influenced by them more. Absolutely. Because I think we, social work, like many professions, can kind of, um, I mean, I love us. <laughs> I love being a social worker. I'm, I'm a proud social worker. But at the same time, like many professions, we can get sort of insulated and stuck in our old world, in our own worldview and base our assumptions about what's going to happen next on what's happening now or what happened before. Mm -hmm. Not understanding how dynamically the ecosystem around us is changing. In other words, um, human behavior in the social environment is about to mean a heck of a lot more than it used to. <laughs> Yeah. When, when you've got a robotic assistant, you know, helping you, <laughs> human behavior in the social environment means something different. Or if, you're, if your state is on fire, that means something different than maybe it used to. So I think it has, it has both opportunities. It has the opportunity to expand us, and we have the opportunity to bring in some of the things we are so great at, um, a, a, intersectional social justice lens, an anti-racist lens, a systems perspective lens, and really thinking about sort of a, a human rights lens um, mm -hmm. in kind of a different way than, than can typically, than, than is typically represented in a lot of those spaces. Oh, that's super interesting. So uh, one of the things, uh, as there's so many other questions that are coming up here, I'm trying to stay a little bit focused, but <laughs> One of the things that just keeps coming across my mind as I've read through the article and looked across other things about this idea of uh, futurism, futurism and foresight uh, perspective and the struggle with social work is I go back to Abraham Flexner, you know, and we have, I feel like in the social work profession struggled for years and years, even though we've more or less shed some of that if listeners are not familiar abraham flexner basically called social work out and said it was more of a pseudo profession mm -hmm. and so i'm wondering then how much of reflecting back on our past do we still have to i don't know if come to terms is the right answer or the right uh phrase here uh, but how do we deal with some of legitimizing what we do as social workers and then also at the same time helping to shape the future does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think by any measure, I, I think that's valid. And I think Flexer's arguments are interesting and, and relevant to sort of the old way of thinking about professions, frankly. Yeah. Okay. Um, but th there's one particular book that has been very influential in my life, which I highly recommend called The Future of the Professions. Okay. And every like every social worker should read it. So when we when we jump off and do this uh, health social work futures uh, group, I, I'd like everyone to read this book uh, because it really is talking about artificial intelligence and the and the history and sociology of professions themselves, where they came from, why they evolved the way they did, and where they are right now. And and what he says um, in that book is that all the professions in some respects are mm -hmm. failing at this moment. Most people that want a surgeon can't actually get a surgeon. Most people who want and need a lawyer can't actually get to a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. the, the professions themselves have gotten beyond what most people can afford. And the social contract that in exchange for your expertise and years of dedicated education, you will provide something to society the truth is professions are getting more and more closed off. They, they, so, and then you have this rise in artificial intelligence that's making 
the information people need just accessible everywhere. You know, yeah. the information explosion and artificial intelligence together. He says all professions are going to turn inside out. Everybody from doctoring and nursing and law is going through an enormous transformation around this. Journalism, even the clergy he goes into in wow. this book. It's really an interesting book. And so the future of professions is going to look very different than the past. I was at a Future of Medicine conference this last year while I was on sabbatical, and, and they said often, your surgeon is not going to be replaced by a robot, but mm -hmm. your surgeon is going to be replaced by a surgeon that knows how to work with a robot. <laughs> and the truth is all professions, the future of professions, he says, is really about how to, um, how to work with technology um, in a way that expands our capability not okay. diminishes it. All this is to say, um, Jimmy, that I, I don't think, I think that argument is over and there's so much ahead for us. Social work is established itself, what by numbers, we are the largest provider of mental health services in the United yeah. States, right? Yep. And there are several other sectors where there's just, there's so many of us. And I think generally speaking, we are respected and appreciated for the things that we bring to the table. I think, I think it's really about, are we going to be relevant in the future, mm -hmm. not in the past? <laughs> and if we want to be relevant in the future, man, we got to get on it because yeah. just continuing to do what we've always done, I don't think will get us there. And I don't think that's unique to social work, by the way, like I say, it's, it's happening in every other profession too. Yeah, we got to get ready for what's coming. There's and a lot of disruption due to technology, back. and not frankly get too distracted by what's going on around us right now. Although it's hard not to, it's very hard times. And the number one thing that I think keeps us, frankly, it's not just you know our normal professional boundaries. I mean, it's it's hard times right now. It's hard not to get mm -hmm. distracted by the horror that we're seeing around us from a social work perspective. So most social right. workers I know are angry, exhausted, and, you yes. know, um, all every sort of moral, imaginative, professional resource they've got is on the field every night uh, because of what we're up against right now in this kind of social injustice, this era of social injustice yeah. that we're in. So um, that's, that's distracting. But we can't stop because even if you take things like, um, let's just take police violence towards mm -hmm. uh, people of color, black people in particular. Mm -hmm. You take that issue. That is a huge issue right now. It's a maddening, aggravating, you know, just completely absorbing issue that we need yeah. to dedicate ourselves to interrupting and turning around, right? I absolutely believe that. And um, as Professor Ruha Benjamin says in um, a lot of her work, if we don't sort of keep our foot on the gas pedal around looking ahead at this, a lot of the policing technologies that are coming along in terms of facial recognition and yes. other kinds of sort of smart cities or future policing, they may be many times more dangerous than what's happening now. And we could actually have less police, but more lethality based on what may be coming. So wow. we, have an, we have an obligation, a moral obligation and a professional obligation to sort of look ahead and stay ahead of this because these trends keep marching on yeah. <laughs> with or without us.
So it kind of then sounds like to me somewhat of uh, some of the other questions I'd asked earlier about how does social work be a part of this or what does this look like? And, you, you know, you've mentioned that we need to be, uh, for lack of a better phrase, we need to be at the table yep. and being a part of these conversations. And certainly um, we have some social workers that are doing some of this work, working with computer yes. scientists. And, you know, I'm thinking of Melanie Sage and yeah. Desmond Patton at uh, Columbia and others that are doing a lot of amazing work. And so uh, certainly these things are happening, but I would agree that there's always much more room, right, yeah, for us to get yeah. involved. So I this is... Of, I mean, I'd really dream of a, a future of social work where we can't even count the number of amazing people who are involved. I am so proud of the people we can count, Jimmy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I want a time when we can't even count them because that's how many of us need to be at the table. Yeah, yeah. And certainly some of this then plays into education and shaping the future, like yeah. what you're what you're talking about here and and uh, suggesting that we need to do uh, within social work education and social work practice. So um, I, I want to ask this question real fast about uh, your article mentioned that in 20, I think it was 2018, uh, you were part of a task force with the Council on Social Work Education and they're envisioning, envisioning the future of social work. And y'all explored the question of what social work might look like in the year 2050. And one of the answers involved harnessing and leveraging technology to advance social work forward. So how much is technology actually involved in this futurist foresight perspective? So one thing, I was actually not part of that group. Um, I was okay. deaning at the time, but I was not part of the group. I'm very appreciative of, of the courageous and creative thing that happened there, but I actually wasn't involved in it. Um, but I, I, it's such an important reference point. So I just want to give credit where it's due. Um, I, I do think um, most futures and foresight folks really do suggest that technology in general, both technology and climate change are probably the two um, biggest drivers for a lot of, and, and others suggest there's a third of equity. Um, these are the biggest drivers of future trends and developments. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's interesting. Um, it's very political. This issue of like another person that I love to read, um, let's see, uh, Douglas Rushkoff has a book called oh, yep. Human. And it's a great book about, you know, ultimately should technology shape the future or should people shape technology for a future they want? <laughs> In other words, and Amy Webb's another futurist that has a book called The Big Nine, and The Big Nine talks about the future of humanity in some respects is being decided by the big nine tech companies, six in the United States, three in China. It's a, sure. Both these books, Team Human and The Big Nine, are like essential reading, again, for every social worker. Because for, for a social worker to just get good at tech, that's a, that's a step that's an interesting step in the right direction, but more importantly is for a social worker to get clear on the social construction of the role of tech mm -hmm. in modern life and, and the equity implications ultimately yeah. um, of how that tech was designed. So there's all these design justice sort of implications. Another great book by Sasha Costanza Chalk, uh, Design Justice. Mm -hmm. um, 
who were these things designed for? Constant iterative power analysis, you know, that goes on. Smart cities is a place where there's a lot of, I think, particularly cutting edge discourse about this. You have big companies that want to put sensors everywhere in a city to mine the data that comes out of that for profit. Yeah. And that's one way to come at it. <laughs> but communities are also saying, wait a minute, we're not entirely against the idea of lots of data coming out of a city because because out of the, all these sensors, maybe that would make community life better. There's a lot of ways that it might. Right. But who should own that data that comes out of it? Who should control it? Who should make decisions about how it's used? And so you have, you know, cities and big corporations in various stages of power struggling about whether or not they're going to adopt things like facial recognition technology or, mm -hmm. you know, other kinds of things. I live in a city, Portland, that just, you know, banned facial recognition technology and there's a number of cities oh, wow. that have um even though you know there are some arguments that make some kind of sense about what they can offer they're extraordinarily dangerous and increasing numbers of people saying they're extraordinarily racist <laughs> so yeah. they're very dangerous tools and it goes back to that issue with uh surveillance and law enforcement yeah. and yeah. the reckoning that our country's facing right, right now with ongoing civil unrest and there are a lot of uh implications there that i think yeah. you know we could spend a lot of time unpacking yeah. with the relation to technology so but those um, are all to your point your question before like those are all places where we every other kind of social work practice setting or task that we're going to do is going to intersect with those issues and yet those issues really are not part of social work education at all right now yeah. well and then i think about i'm glad you brought up the idea about um the equity issues because also within your article you talked a little bit about some of the history of futurist thinking and that it uh, stems from more of a positivist theoretical framework but that more contemporary futurist foresight planning is has become more critical uh, to include questions around power, justice, and inequality. So, um, and then I don't know. Is this almost like a a meta question of a question? How does futurist <laughs> foresight questioning of the framework itself help to then uh, shape the framework and how it gets used in the future? Because it sounds like it's becoming more inclusive and uh, including more critical dialogue and those types of things. You know, it really can. I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to teach a social policy class and I just uncovered a, an article about conservatism in social work. And you know how just like in social work, we have a political um, continuum. Like we have, we have parts of the country and, and even within progressive parts of the country, we have conservative people, obviously, and social work within any profession, there's a political range. Mm -hmm. I think the same is true in the futures world, although there's been a blossoming and a flourishing of kind of these more um, progressive, the idea of a democratic um, use of these methods to um, be more emergent, um, more equity and, and um, power analysis oriented. Mm -hmm. There are still people who very much are using futures frameworks um, in ways that are about trying to create a future that will make them money <laughs> yeah. and other kinds of things. So 
all these things are happening um, at the same time. I tend to hang with the more progressive crowd whose main mm -hmm. interest is using these principles to democratize futures thinking and really get as many and disrupt those power relations so that the future should not be decided by a few. The future should be decided by many on purpose. But there's other people out there that don't necessarily believe that um, and um, believe they know what's best for the future of humanity oh, wow. and, and are seeking to make that happen. <laughs> and it's complicated. It's very complicated. Sure, like almost anything with politics yeah, and policy. Yeah. But and, I, I tend to hang with the, the group that's, that's interested more in the, the democratizing of these frameworks. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, They're, it's all interesting. You know, would a, would, a, would a society, you know, you take issues like the iPhone, you know, how many of us, do you have an iPhone? I do, yes. I have an iPhone sitting right here. Like I would guess most people listening to this podcast have an iPhone. I sometimes think about like Steve Jobs wasn't interested in democratizing his idea <laughs> of these tools, right. but he was interested in tools that would change the world. And I, I try to position that in like, is, you know, people like Douglas Rushkoff would say, um, these are all things that erode collectivism, collective well-being. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that's true in a lot of respects. I have a lot of admiration for innovators and big thinkers, mm -hmm. but I don't think they should be deciding the fate of the world for us all. I guess that's so where I draw the line. <laughs> No, I, I think that's really interesting because if you think about um, the the early years in social media, which honestly were not that long ago, right? Right. Uh, there was so much hope and promise. And I mean, yes. democratization, decentralization, those yes. words got thrown around like everywhere on the yes. internet in the early days, especially on Twitter. Now, fast forward here to 2020, and we can look back and see that maybe, maybe we're a little bit overly optimistic right. or obviously there have been things and changes, but I don't know. It's interesting, this conversation in thinking about shaping the future, using this kind of a framework to do so uh, with acknowledging over the past 10, or I guess even some would say 20 years uh, with social media, depending on how far you want to go back with which platforms uh, and how we might actually be able to continue to innovate, continue to transform, but to do so in positive ways yeah. uh, without just leaving it up to a handful of powerful individuals. Because, um, you know, I've, I'm a big fan of technology and I've been a, an, a tech evangelist for the last decade, encouraging social work education to become more on board. And I honestly have to say within the last couple of years, I've grown very skeptical and yeah. that's because of things that have come to light from you know uh, political in, uh, interference and disinformation campaigns yeah. and all of these yeah. things but um one of the other things that i keep coming back to as we're talking this phrase just keeps on floating in my head and so as soon as i say it i'm sure you've heard it before but marshall McLuhan is noted for saying we shape our tools and thereafter our tools shape us yeah yeah how much of that or that concept or that idea is uh, discussed, taken for granted? Um, what does that concept look like in the futurist world? 
I, I think that um, I think there's a lot of discussion about it, and and uh, and a lot of um, thoughtful, analytic, challenging um, work that's being done in those spaces. That's what that's really what sparks me so much about being in those spaces. It, mm-hmm. it comes back to. I think the promise, this is one of the things Douglas Rushkoff says, his book, by the way, is called Team Human. It's, it's quite good. Um, I, I think it comes back to, he says, at the end of the day, all that promise was spent, was hijacked by the market, by, he doesn't say this, but I would say it, it was hijacked by white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what we need are more, um, we need investments of time and resources in, in other kinds of voices um, to contribute that, and, and those are showing up, they're percolating. Like one of my favorite um, beyond the United States voices is a woman named Arathi Krishnan, who really speaks to a, a need for sort of a global investment and turn towards global voices to really invest in global kinds of solutions or things that are coming up from the Afrofuturism framework that really, um, you know, at the end of the day, all these social media companies, at least in the United States, these are just a bunch of white men. That's one of the most disappointing outcomes of all that promise is that it just sort of closed off and amplified and entrenched sort of that white male elite voice Mm -hmm. um, in a way that's, you know, nothing but it's beyond a disappointment. It's actually a huge destructive force in the world as, you know, as, as you said, and and many of us, I think, who, who had our eye on, on something really valuable and important. It's not to say good things can't come out of technology. Good things are coming out of technology all the time, but um, yeah, I think there's a lot of spaces in the futures where, well, this is being talked about and um, where new things are percolating around the edges. My favorite part of futures work is to say, there's this concept around used futures and, um, and, and the true future. And a used future is, what is, a, is when a powerful group tells you how the future is gonna be. That's kind of a used future. <laughs> so hold on, hold on. Are we living in a used future right now then? Yeah, that's, I mean, that is that is the whole point and I think the most interesting part. Whereas the emergent future is really, there are signals about it around the edges all the time, mm-hmm. but it's beyond the reach of the powerful. So you you look to the streets, you look in social movements, you look in spaces that are not uh, dominating um, the airwaves or not dominating the discourse, that's where the future really is. Um, And that, that is growing. So in the future spaces that I hang out in, um, that's what people are talking about and sharing um, more and more and more. Wow, that is so interesting and super important because, you know, as as a part of QCDA, one of the things that we care about is that this idea of how we use technology for human betterment, we believe that it is cross-cultural and indeed that we need a diverse set of voices in order to help us use that technology for human betterment. So um, absolutely sounds like a 
a parallel that we have with futurist foresight thinking without yeah. even knowing that we're maybe yeah. we are futurists. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, it's again, it goes back to like, I think it's really incredibly important that we not be naive as social workers. So just thinking about therapy apps, for example, okay. that technology is beautiful. And you know what we need? I just was reading something this morning that there, you know, there may be a doubling and tripling down on telehealth, the future of telehealth. Mm -hmm because of what's happening in the pandemic and how much people have genuinely liked having access to it and a lot of cool, interesting things happening. But let's just take uh, therapy apps. We could get really great at designing them and deploying them and still violate huge aspects of our ethics by not understanding that often the companies that run them are mining the data yes. that's underneath them so we, we got to just be really careful and I think respectful about our own naivete sometimes and our mm -hmm. own, I don't want to say innocence, but it's really more about naivete. We've got to sit down, we've got to question everything and look at the power analysis and think about who's, con who's pulling the strings on a lot of these things yeah. if we're really going to participate in liberation mm -hmm. and not well, just manipulation. And that's what I like. I, I also watched your TED talk. You gave a TED talk talking about this topic we're talking about today. Uh, I'll try to put a link to that in some of the show notes somewhere. But um, I like this idea that we can ask these hard questions. We can critique the status quo and we can critique what we think the future should be. But it's not a critique of we need to find the, the faults and we just need to destroy everything and forget about it but it's really in an attempt to make sure that we are constructing that better future. That's what I'm hearing anyways. Does that sound correct? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think some people want to burn some things down and I, <laughs> I can't, you know, I, I'm trying to be very careful as a white person of privilege to, to check myself around, you know, whether an incremental approach, um, is always going to work. Yeah, I, I'm not mm -hmm. smart enough to figure out. I do think maybe some parts of our systems have to be dismantled and reimagined. Um, that's for us to decide together. I think that's that's sort of my quest. And, I, and again, these are, I think, central things that social work can contribute to in some really interesting ways. I mean, I'll tell you a big one. What's the future of the economy? Are we really in late stage capitalism? There are whole groups of futurists talking about post-capitalism. What is oh, wow. the future of our economy? What happens next? Who will win? Who will lose in that situation? And um, so should, you know, capitalism is not working <laughs> for, for, for a, a, lot, lot, of a lot, lot of people, right? And right. so um, should that be burned down? You know, I don't know. Um, yeah. I got days when I think it maybe should be. <laughs> <laughs> Along with a lot of other things yeah, going on yeah. in our country right now. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yes. Well, I really like that. I've got a couple more questions if you've sure. got a little bit more time. Um, you know, one of the main central ideas for HUSEDA is this idea of ethical use of technology uh, for human betterment and using that technology in human services. So how can we use futurist thinking and foresight planning to help within the profession or more specifically with organizations or maybe even us as individuals to then create a greater good or use that technology for a, a greater purpose. 
So this is one of the areas that things are moving very quickly. Um, and it, a lot of it comes back to ethics around artificial intelligence, but there's globally, there's numerous global conversations about ethics and technology for the future. And um, again, another space where I think we're not always involved, even though I wanna say, Jimmy, you know, AI is involved in a lot of child welfare, a lot of mm -hmm. criminal justice. Like there's a lot of algorithms out there right. doing a lot of things that can, and healthcare certainly that are controlling a lot of our work, but we're not trained in them. I think that's ethically unsound um, for us as social workers. And, we don't really check ourselves on that. And I think we take a lot of it for granted. We do. Just say, Again. oh, it works in the background. It's not bothering me. Right. But and if we don't tear into that, then I think we are worth, we are, we deserve to be titled a pseudo profession because <laughs> we, we can't like we, that's unethical. That's ethical mm -hmm. malpractice to me or ethical naivete to think that we're not, you know, at risk of being manipulated by these technologies ourselves as professionals. But anyway, um, there's a lot to be learned there. Um, so I'm putting together a future of social work course right now and fully, you know, 20% of it is just going to be about emerging ethics frameworks for wow. technology in the future of technology. Um, a really quick start is one called Ethical OS. It's on, um, it's easy to find online, the ethical operating system. And right. it just takes on issues like equity, like the dopamine economy and, you know, digital addictions, um, disinformation campaigns and, and the, you know, those kinds of things. There's a lot of really interesting aspects to it. I'm not going to run through them all, sure. but um, there are new kinds of frameworks expanding. And uh, I think any social worker, frankly, anywhere should, it should become one of our ethical imperatives as part of our code of ethics. But when ethics are taught in social work school, I think these should be taught right alongside as, as an integrated part. Um, wow. There's no social worker that's not going to, um, not going to have their practice heavily intersecting with yeah. issues around technology in the future. But probably more because I mean I teach an ethics class myself for social work graduate students, and I do part of it's just because this is who I am, right? I do yeah. a lot of research in technology and new media literacies. So I have a week where we dive into some stuff around social media and professional identity and some of the things that are uh, tied with the code of ethics here in the United States. But uh, some of it, and I would actually even argue that most of it is really surface level. It's, you know, make sure you're not tweeting something embarrassing about yeah, yourself. Yeah. Don't and talk that's about it, that's your important. online. <laughs> right, that's, that's important stuff. But I mean, there's, I think there is deeper stuff that you're alluding to with you know, how algorithms and things get designed, the technology gets designed, yeah. that is leaving out swaths of individuals, especially marginalized folks and at-risk mm -hmm. populations that uh, at least, you know, maybe I need to bone up my areas in uh, ethics about this to really teach the students and transform part of uh, our, our professional practice about ethics education yeah. because yeah. Yeah, there, and, and I know you can go so deep, but um, it sounds like there's a lot more there that maybe we should be doing. Yeah, you know, there's a, I think there, I think there truly is. It's a discovery process. This is why we need learning collaboratives and living decentralized 
hives of knowledge building in social work. And that's what I want to participate in building um, because we can get there quickly and effectively, I think. It's, this isn't rocket science. It really isn't. My favorite place to learn about this are emergent apps that come from people, that come from communities, you know, app builders. Like we had, we had one here in Oregon I heard about at a, um, a TED Talk kind of event where we had a guy who was formerly houseless without a home and he now he he um evolved in his life to a place where he was able to work in one of these um in a homeless facility and he um, was struggling with just all the things everybody struggles with in terms of what a mess the infrastructure is that really supports uh, the lack of housing to vulnerable people in our communities he developed an app so that rather than people having to go around from shelter to shelter to shelter to shelter, they could put an application in at nine shelters simultaneously using wow. an app. And almost everybody in these facilities has a phone. So he was yeah. able to like build this app that would solve a real problem in a community in a certain way. I just read another piece the other day about a teenager whose father was in prison and she built an app that she managed to get approved by this prison system so that kids and parents could stay connected um, oh, wow. even though the parent was in prison and sort of go around this expensive abusive phone situation that right. goes on in prison those are those really intrigue me those kind of grassroots app kind of programs i think it starts you know with something you said earlier which is a lot of social workers a lot of social work students just don't necessarily see themselves in these kind of roles yeah. but in your ethics class it's a matter of saying you may not see this in yourself right now but when you're out in practice in 15 minutes it's very possible that you're going to see a problem that could be solved with a tech solution how would you do that ethically or how would you even know who to get to the table um, and be ethical yes. about it um, yes. you will find yourself in that situation and will you be ready otherwise and this is the part where I, I just think, I think the future of our profession compels us to be more ready to participate in this world, whether we're inviting this in on our own terms or are in partnership with communities or we're fighting it. Mm -hmm. And I think a good thing, good social work probably involves both in Absolutely. the future. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there's so much more work that we can always be doing yeah, uh, as yeah. social workers. Yeah. Well, I, I want to end uh, with one more question. And this question might be a pretty big, grand question, mm -hmm. but I actually pulled this from the end of your article. And you've already mentioned this quote, I think, uh, at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, there's a quote that you have that you say, the future we want doesn't arrive fully formed. We have to shape it. I just, I thought that was amazing, but... One of the questions that I have around that is when will we or how will we know when we've arrived to the future that we want? Yeah, yeah. I bet we'll argue about it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think that's a great idea. It, you know, I, I go almost go back to the history thing like, well, how will we know when history's done? It's never going to be done, right? The future yeah. is always going to be, it's my running joke about how much we try to squeeze into a social work degree because, oh my gosh, we try to squeeze so much into two years. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let's look at the field of history, for example. There's more of it every year, and yet they seem to manage to get people through in four years just fine. Um, <laughs> the future is never going to be done, hopefully, because <laughs> if, if the future's done, we're done. So I think it's, um, I really believe a lot of the work I've been doing lately has to do with um, learning communities. I think organizations of the future are only going to make it if they learn more effectively together about what's yeah. happening. And you look at COVID again, this situation where let's take universities, we've all had to learn so much and learn together and on our own. I think we'll know we're headed in the right direction when, um, when we're able to really uh, withstand and feel a different kind of sense of resilience and um, enduring community that's kind of different. At least that's the future I want. This is what comes down to, I don't know, Jimmy, what's the future you want? I mean, we'll know, I think we have to decide those kinds of things. We have to decide where we want to go. And then we have to decide together, what are the indicators that we're getting there? Mm -hmm. um, there's, what, there's what I hope, but there's what you hope, and there's what our students hope, and there's what our communities hope. And I think our job as community or as, as futurists, like I'm really into a new thing I've just heard about that's coming out of England called participatory futures. And it's a whole big framework about how to, and governments are starting to use it. Um, so it's, it's about how do you get whole communities involved in, in future wayfinding and agenda setting. Mm -hmm. That's what excites me. Uh, I, I'll feel like we're there I don't know if I'll ever, I'm not very satisfied with this sort of thing. So I don't think I'll ever feel like we're there, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I think they'll always be, and I'm enough of a realist at this ripe old age of 57 that I think conflict is perpetually built into this political world that we live in. So I don't think we're gonna be there. But yeah. I, I certainly feel like at the end of the day, slowing down climate change and interrupting um, huge health disparities and economic disparities, to me, those are the most important indicators for everything, mm -hmm. right? So if we, the future I want eliminates health disparities and economic disparities and preserves the planet, um, that's the future I want. Those are the only indicators I really care about. <laughs> and all these other things, all these tools and technologies and economic drivers and all this, those are all tools to help get us to those things, in my yeah. opinion. Well, and I think it's kind of exciting because a lot of those tools will be constructed and made, they'll be developed along the way. They will. And so I think that also contributes to what you're saying where we might not ever get there or know yeah. that we've arrived because we are still constantly shaping the future. You know, there's one thing I really want to say is that futures work is a practice. It's something we practice to, and it's also not a solo practice. It's very much a, a global hive, I think, yeah. at its best. And that is so exciting and interesting. It's, it's about global problem solving and wayfinding. And it's very much the kind of future I want to be part of, where, where what we ought to be doing, humanity, is, mm -hmm. is, is helping to think beyond sort of the petty stuff we've always worried about. I mean, not to get too into Star Trek, but that kind of, you know, we ought to be looking at bigger things together as a planet 
than just our petty squabbling and keeping each other down, yes. right? There are bigger things to explore. There are bigger questions about the future of why we're even here and what's all out there and all those things. Uh, I hope we can get to that together. But um, anyway, it's a practice, not a destination. It's sort of like medicine. When will we know we've got every disease solved? Like, well, we'll never have every disease solved, but, but we sure can do better. Um, to make what we do more effective. So I hope that answers your question. Absolutely does. It's and so much fun. It is very much like applied science fiction. It's, it's so much fun and interesting. I've met some of the most interesting people I've ever met in my life in yeah. this world. And well, just, one of the, I want to just say to your audience and to you, I mean, there's, there's so many on ramps, you just jump in, you just don't, you don't, there's nothing you have to do to prepare, you can become a certified foresight practitioner, there's some cool little trainings around, but mm -hmm. you can find it all out without taking any of those. Like, what I'm trying to do with my work is develop a social work specific on ramp and make it as easy as possible for social workers to say, dang, that looks really cool. I, I think I'd like to try that out and wade in, but you don't need me. I mean, it's all there. So. Yeah. Well, I think that's fantastic because so much of what we've talked about and even as I've dived into the shallow end of the futurism pool, that's I've recognized the parallels with social work as a profession and yeah. a practice that we do that we're very collaborative, communicative. And so there's so many things within this perspective in this this uh, uh, foresight planning practice that we can you know, grab from as social workers that really resonates with the work that we want to do anyhow. Yeah. So for me, that's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, if any of you are interested in social work futures and the things that Dr. Nissen is working on, you can find more from her blog, socialworkfutures.com or follow her on Twitter at Laura Nissen. So again, Dr. Nissen, thank you for uh, joining me on the podcast and we look forward to more of your work. Thank you. The Husita Podcast is a production of the Human Services Information Technology Association. If you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast, please connect with us on our website at www.husita.org, on Twitter at husita.org, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash husita.org. Be sure to rate the podcast and share it with your networks to help us create a world where information technology is used to promote the social good and human well-being. My name is Jimmy Young. You can also connect with me on Twitter at JimmySW. Thanks for listening to the podcast.